Section 13 of Selections of the History of the Franks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Selections of the History of the Franks by Gregory of Tours, translated by Ernest Brehalt. Book 8 in Christ's name, here begins Book 8. 1. Now King Guntram, in the twenty-fourth year of his reign, started from Shalon and went to the city of Nevers, for he was going to Paris by invitation to receive from the holy font of regeneration Shelperic's son, whom they were already calling Clothar. And he left the territory of Nevers and came to the city of Orleans, and at that time appeared much among the citizens. For on receiving invitations he went to their homes, and partook of the repasts offered him. He received many gifts from them, and bestowed many gifts on them in a very generous way. And when he came to the city of Orleans, the day was the festival of the blessed Martin, namely the fourth of the nones, of the fifth month, July 4 and a huge throng of people came to meet him with standards and banners singing praises and here the syrian language there that of the latins and again that even of the jews sounded together strangely in varied praises saying long live the king may his reign over the people last unnumbered years and the jews who were to be seen taking part in the praises said May all the nations honor you, and bend the knee, and be subject to you. And so it happened that when the king was seated at dinner after mass, he said, Woe to you, Jewish tribe, wicked, treacherous, and always living by cunning. Here's what they were after, said he, when they cried out their flattering praises today, that all the nations were to honor me as master they wish me to order their synagogue long ago torn down by the christians to be built at the public cost but by the lord's command i will never do it o king glorious for wonderful wisdom he so understood the craft of the heretics that they entirely failed to get from him what they were going to propose later at the dinner the king said to the bishops who were present I beg you to give me your blessing tomorrow in my house and bring me salvation by your coming, so that I may be saved when in my humility I receive your words of blessing. When he said this, all thanked him, and as dinner was finished, we rose. 2. In the morning, while the king was visiting the holy places to offer prayer, he came to my lodging. It was the church of St. Avitus, the abbot, whom I mentioned in my book of the miracles. I rose gladly, I admit, to go to meet him, and after giving him my blessing, begged him to accept St. Martin's holy bread at my lodging. He did not refuse, but courteously came in, drank a cup, invited me to the dinner, and went away in good humor. At that time Bertram, Bishop of Bordeaux, 
and palladius of saintes were in great disfavour with the king because of their support of gundewald of which we have told above moreover bishop palladius had especially offended the king because he had repeatedly deceived him now they had recently been under examination before the remaining bishops and the nobles as to why they had supported gundewald and why they had foolishly ordained Faustian bishop of Acts at his command. But Bishop Palladius took the blame for the ordination of his metropolitan, Bertram, and took it on his own shoulders, saying, My metropolitan was suffering greatly from sore eyes, and I was plundered, and treated with indignity, and dragged to the place against my will i could do nothing else than obey one who said he had received complete control of the gauls when this was told the king he was greatly irritated so that he could scarcely be prevailed upon to invite to the dinner these bishops whom he had previously refused to see so when bertram came in the king asked who is he for it had been a long time since he had seen him and they said this is Bertram, Bishop of Bordeaux. And the king said to him, We thank you for keeping faith as you have with your own family. For I would have you know, beloved father, that you are my kinsman on my mother's side, and you should not have brought a plague from abroad upon your own people. When Bertram had been told this and more, the king turned to Palladius and said, you do not deserve much gratitude either, Bishop Palladius, for you perjured yourself to me three times, a hard thing to say of a bishop, sending me information full of treachery. You excused yourself to me by letter, and at the same time you were inviting my brother in other letters. God will judge my cause, since I have always tried to treat you as fathers of the church, and you have always been treacherous and he said to the bishop nacasius and entidius most holy fathers tell me what you have done for the advantage of your country or the security of my kingdom they made no reply and the king washed his hands and after receiving a blessing from the bishops sat at table with a glad countenance and a cheerful behavior as if he had said nothing about the wrongs done him three meantime when the dinner was now half over the king asked me to request my deacon who had sung the repository at the mass the day before to sing when he had sung he next asked me to request all the bishops who at my instance had come prepared to appoint each a single clerk from his service to sing before the king and so i made the request at the king's command and they sang each to the best of his ability a psalm before the king and when the courses were being changed the king said all the silver you see belonged to that perjurer mamalus but now by the help of god's grace it has been transferred to my ownership i have already had fifteen of his dishes like the larger one you see yonder melted down and I have kept only this one and one other of a hundred and seventy pounds. Why keep more than enough for daily use? It is too bad, but I have no other son than Childebert, 
and he has enough treasures which his father left him, beside what I have sent to him from the property of this wretch, which was found at Avignon. The rest must be given for the necessities of the poor and the churches. 4. There is only one thing that I ask of you, my lord bishops, namely, to pray God's mercy for my son Schildebert, for he is a man of sense and ability, so that one so cautious and energetic as he could scarcely be found in many years. And if God would deign to grant him to these Gauls, perhaps there would be hope that by him our race, greatly weakened though it is, can rise again. And I have confidence that this will happen through his mercy, because the indications at the boy's birth were of this sort. For it was the holy day of Easter, and my brother Sigebert was standing in the church, and the deacon was walking the procession with the holy book of the Gospels. And a messenger came to the king, and the words of the deacon as he read from the Gospels and of the messenger were the same, saying, to thee a son has been born. And when they both spoke together, all the people cried out, Glory to all-powerful God! Moreover, he was baptized on the holy day of Pentecost, and was made king also on the holy day of the Lord's birth. And so, if your prayers attend him, God willing, he will be able to rule. So the king spoke and all prayed the Lord in his mercy to keep both kings safe. The king added, It is true that his mother, Brunhilde, threatens my life, but I have no misgiving on this account, for the Lord who saved me from the hands of my enemies will save me from her plots too. 5. Then he said, much against Bishop Theodore, protesting that if he came to the synod he would thrust him off again into exile, and saying, I know it was for the sake of these people that he caused my brother Schilperic to be killed. In fact, I ought not to be called a man if I cannot avenge his death this year. But I made answer, What killed Schilperic unless it was his own wickedness and your prayers? for he laid many plots for you contrary to justice, and they brought death to him. And so to speak, it was just this that I saw in a dream when I beheld him with tonsured head, being ordained a bishop apparently, and then I saw him placed on a plain chair hung only with black, and carried along with shining lamps and torches going before him. When I told this, the king said, and I saw another vision which foretold his death. He was brought into my presence, loaded with chains by three bishops, of whom one was Tetricus, the second Agricola, and the third Nicaeus of Lyons. And two of them said, Set him free, we entreat you. Give him a beating and let him go. But Bishop Tetricus answered harshly, it shall not be so, for he shall be burned with fire for his crimes. And when they had carried on this discussion for a long time, as if quarreling, I saw at a distance a cauldron set on fire and boiling furiously. Then I wept, 
and they seized on happy Shilperic, and broke his limbs, and threw him in the cauldron, and he was immediately so melted and dissolved amid the steam from the water, that no trace of him at all remained. The king told this story, and we wondered at it, and the feast being finished, we rose. 6. The next day the king went hunting. When he returned, I brought into his presence Garachar, Count of Bordeaux, and Bladast, who, as I have told you before, had taken refuge in the church of St. Martin, because they had been followers of Gundevald. I had previously made intercession for them, but had failed, and so at this later time I said, Hear me, powerful king. Behold, I have been sent to you on an embassy by my master. What answer shall I give to him who sent me, when you refuse to give me any answer? And he said in amazement, Who is your master who sent you? I smiled and answered, The blessed Martin. Then he ordered me to bring the men before him, and when they entered his presence he reproached them with many treacheries and perjuries, calling them again and again tricky foxes, but he restored them to his favor, giving back what he had taken from them. 7. When the Lord's Day came, the king went to church to hear Mass, and the brethren and fellow bishops who were there yielded to Bishop Palladius the honor of celebrating it. When he began to read the prophecy, the king inquired who he was, and when they told him that it was the Bishop Palladius, he was angry at once and said, is he now to preach the sacred word before me, who has always been faithless to me and perjured? I will leave this church immediately, and will not hear my enemy preach. So saying, he started to leave the church. Then the bishops were troubled by the humiliation of their brother, and said to the king, We saw him present at the feast you gave, and we saw you receive a blessing at his hand. And why does the king despise him now? If we had known that he was hated to you, we would have resorted to another to celebrate mass. But now, if you permit it, let him continue the ceremony which he has begun. Tomorrow, if you bring any charges against him, let it be judged in accordance with the holy canons. By this time, Bishop Palladius had retired to the sacristy in great humiliation. Then the king bade him be recalled, and he finished the ceremony which he had begun. Moreover, when Palladius and Bertram were again summoned to the king's table, they became angry at one another, and reproached one another, with many adulteries and fornications, and with a good many perjuries as well. At these matters many laughed, but a number who were keener of perception lamented that the weeds of the devil should so flourish among the bishops of the lord and so they left the king's presence giving bonds and security to appear at the synod on the tenth day before the calends of the ninth month eight list of prodigies nine queen fedegunda three bishops and three hundred nobles swear to gunthrum that the young clothar is shilperic's son 10. Gunthrum discovers the bodies of Shilperic's sons, Maravec and Clovis, and gives them due burial. 
11. Guntram's life is in danger. 12. Bishop Theodore of Marseilles is forced to appear before Guntram. 13. Guntram sends an embassy to Schildebert. 14. Gregory nearly loses his life in crossing the Rhine, but is saved by relics of St. Martin. 15. We started on the journey and came to the town of Vois, and there were met by Deacon Vulafiliac and taken to his monastery, where we received a very kind welcome. This monastery is situated on a mountain top, about eight miles from the town I have mentioned. On this mountain, Vulafiliac built a great church and made it famous for its relics of the blessed Martin and other saints. While staying there, I began to ask him to tell me something of the blessing of his conversion and how he had entered the clergy, for he was a Lombard by race. But he would not speak of these matters, since he was quite determined to avoid vainglory. But I urged him with terrible oaths, first promising that I would disclose to no one what he told, and I began to ask him to conceal from me none of the matters of which I would ask. After resisting a long time, he was overcome at length by my entreaties and protestations, and told the following tale. When I was a small boy, said he, I heard the name of the blessed Martin, though I did not know yet whether he was a martyr or confessor, or what good he had done in the world, or what region had the merit of receiving his blessed limbs in the tomb and I was already keeping vigils in his honor, and if any money came into my hands, I would give alms. As I grew older, I was eager to learn, and I was able to write before I knew the order of the written letters, before I could read. Then I joined the abbot Eridius, and was taught by him, and visited the church of St. Martin. Returning with him, he took a little of the dust of the holy tomb for a blessing. This he placed in a little case and hung it on my neck. Coming to his monastery in the territory of Limoges, he took the little case to place it in his oratory, and the dust had increased so much that it not only filled the whole case, but burst out at the joints wherever it could find an exit. In the light of this miracle, my mind was the more on fire to place all my hope in his power. Then I came to the territory of Treves, and on the mountain where you are now, built with my own hands the dwelling you see. I found here an image of Diana, which the unbelieving people worshipped as a god. I also built a column on which I stood in my bare feet with great pain, and when the winter had come as usual, I was so nipped by the icy cold that the power of the cold often caused my toenails to fall off, and frozen moisture hung from my beard like candles. For this country is said to have a very cold winter. And when I asked him urgently what food or drink he had, and how he destroyed the images on the mountain, he said, my food and drink were a little bread and vegetables and a small quantity of water. And when the multitude began to flock to me from the neighboring villages, I preached always that Diana was nothing, 
that her images and the worship which they thought it well to observe were nothing and that the songs which they sang at their cups and wild debauches were disgraceful but it was right to offer the sacrifice of praise to all-powerful god who made heaven and earth i often prayed that the lord would deign to hurl down the image and free the people from this air and the lord's mercy turned the rustic mind to listen to my words and to follow the lord abandoning their idols then i gathered some of them together so that by their help i could hurl down the huge image which i could not budge with my own strength for i had already broken the rest of the small images which was an easier task when many had gathered at this statue of diana ropes were fastened and they began to pull but their toil could accomplish nothing then i hastened to the church and threw myself on the ground and weeping begged the divine mercy that the power of god should destroy that which human energy could not overturn after praying i went out to the workmen and took hold of the rope and as soon as i began to pull at once the image fell to the ground where i broke it with iron hammers and reduced it to dust but at this very hour when i was going to take food my whole body was so covered with malignant pimples from sole to crown that no space could be found that a single finger might touch i went alone into the church and stripped myself before the holy altar now i had there a jar full of oil which i had brought from st martin's church with this i oiled all my body with my own hands and soon lay down to sleep i awoke about midnight and rose to perform the service and found my whole body cured as if no sore had appeared on me and i perceived that these sores were sent not otherwise than by the hate of the enemy and inasmuch as he enviously seeks to injure those who seek god the bishops who should have urged me the more to continue wisely the work i had begun came and said this way which you follow is not the right one and a base-born man like you cannot be compared with simon of antioch who lived on a column moreover the situation of the place does not allow you to endure the hardship come down rather and dwell with the brethren you have gathered at their words i came down since not to obey the bishops is called a crime and i walked and ate with them and one day the bishop summoned me to a village at a distance and sent workmen with crossbars and hammers and axes and destroyed the column i was accustomed to stand on i returned the next day and found it all gone i wept bitterly but could not build again what they had torn down for fear of being called disobedient to the bishop's orders and since then i am content to dwell with the brothers just as i do now sixteen and when i asked him to tell somewhat of the miracles which the blessed martin worked in that place he related the following the son of a certain frank of the highest rank among his people was deaf and dumb he was brought by his kinsmen to this church and i had him sleep on the couch in the holy temple with my deacon and another attendant and by day he devoted himself to prayer and at night he slept in the church as i have said and when god pitied him 
the blessed martin appeared to me in a vision saying send the lamb out of the church for he is now cured in the morning i was thinking what this dream meant when the boy came to me and spoke and began to thank god and turning to me said i thank all powerful god who has restored to me speech and hearing after this he was cured and returned home seventeen peculiar appearances in the heavens from which gregory expected that some plague would be sent upon them from the heavens eighteen schildebert's invasion of italy and the appointment of several dukes and counts nineteen the abbot dugulfus is taken in adultery twenty a synod meets at macon twenty one Sheldebert hears a charge of grave robbery against Guthrum Boso. 22. Various items of the year 585. 23 through 25. Prodigies. 26. Eberulf, former Duke of Tours and Portois, loses his property. 27 desiderius is restored to favor from guntrum twenty eight relations with the spanish king twenty nine the plot to assassinate childebert and its failure thirty guntrum sends two armies to attack septimania they plunder his own territories and turn back without success thirty one Quarrel between Fredegunda and Pretextatus, Bishop of Rouen. 32. Dispute about vineyards between one of Fredegunda's officials and Dumnola. 33. Now there was in these days in the city of Paris a woman who said to the inhabitants, O flee from the city and know that it must be burned with fire and when she was ridiculed by many for saying this on the evidence of lots and because of some idle dream or at the urging of a midday demon she replied it is not as you say for i say truly that i saw in a vision a man all illumined coming from the church of st vincent holding a torch in his hand and setting fire to the houses of the merchants one after another then the third night after the woman made this prophecy at twilight a certain citizen took a light and went into the storehouse and took oil and other necessary things and went out leaving the light close by the cask of oil this was the house next the gate which is towards the south from this light the house caught fire and burned and from it others began to catch then the fire threatened the prisoners but the blessed germanus appeared to them and broke the posts and chains by which they were bound and opened the prison door and allowed all the prisoners to go safe they went forth and took refuge in the church of st vincent in which is the blessed bishop's tomb now when the flame was carried hither and thither through the whole city by the high wind and the fire had the complete mastery 
it began to approach another gate where there was an oratory of the blessed martin which had been placed there because he had there cured a case of leprosy with a kiss the man who had built it of interwoven branches trusting in god and confident of the blessed martin's power took refuge within its walls with his property saying i believe and have faith that he who has so often mastered fire and at this place by a kiss made a leper's skin clean will keep the fire from here when the fire came near the great masses of flame swept along but when they touched the wall of the oratory they were extinguished at once but the people kept calling to the man and woman run if you wish to save yourselves for a mass of fire is rushing on you see ashes and coals are falling around you like a heavy rain leave the oratory or you will be burned in the fire but they kept on praying and were never moved by these words and the woman who was armed with the strongest faith in the power of the blessed bishop never moved from the window through which the flames sometimes entered and so great was the power of the blessed bishop that he not only saved this oratory together with his followers house but he did not permit the flames to injure the other houses which were around there the fire ceased which had broken out on one side of the bridge and on the other side it burned all so completely that only the river stopped it however the churches with the houses attached to them were not burned it was said that this city had been as it were consecrated in ancient times so that not only fire could not prevail there but snakes and mice could not appear but lately when a channel under the bridge had been cleaned and the mud which filled it had been taken out they found a snake and a mouse of bronze they were removed and after that mice without number and snakes appeared and fires began to take place thirty four inasmuch as the prince of darkness has a thousand arts of doing injury i will relate what lately happened to recluses vowed to god venoc a breton who had become a priest as we have told in another book was so given up to abstinence that he wore only garments made of skins and ate wild herbs in a raw state and merely touched the wine to his lips so that one would think he was kissing it rather than drinking but as the devout in their generosity often gave him vessels of this liquor sad to say he learned to drink immoderately and to be so given up to it as to be generally seen drunk and so as his drunkenness grew worse and time went on he was seized by a demon and so violently harassed that he would seize a knife of any kind of weapon or stone or club that he could lay hands on and run after men in an insane rage and it became necessary to bind him in chains and imprison him in a cell after raging under this punishment for two years he died there was also amphulius of bordeaux when a boy of twelve years old it is said the servant of a merchant he asked to be allowed to become a recluse his master opposed him a long time thinking he would grow lukewarm and that at his age he could not attain to what he wished 
but he was at length overcome by his servant's entreaties and permitted him to fulfil his desire now there was an old crypt vaulted and very finely built and in the corner of it was a little cell built of squared stones in which there was hardly room for one man standing the boy entered this cell and remained in it eight years or more satisfied with very little food and drink and devoting himself to watching and praying after this he was seized with a great fear and began to shout that he was being tortured internally so it happened by the aid as i suppose of the devil's soldiers that he tore away the stones that shut him in dashed the wall to the ground and cried wringing his hands that the saints of god were causing him frightful torture and when he had continued in this madness for a long time and often mentioned the name of saint martin and said he caused him more torture than the other saints he was brought to tours but the evil spirit because i suppose of the virtue and greatness of the saint did not tear the man he remained at tours for the space of a year and as he suffered no more he returned but later on he suffered from the trouble that he had been free from here thirty five an embassy from spain to king Guntram. thirty six by order of king childebert magnavald was killed in his presence for reasons not given in the following manner the king was staying in his palace in the city of metz and was attending a sport in which an animal was surrounded by a pack of dogs and worried when magnavold was summoned he came and not knowing what was to happen he began to look at the animal and laugh heartily with the rest but a man who had received his orders seeing him intent on the spectacle raised his axe and dashed it against his head he fell and died and was thrown out by the window and buried by his own people his property was taken at once as much as was found and carried to the public treasury certain persons said that it was because he had beaten his wife to death after his brother died and had married his brother's wife that he was killed thirty seven birth of a son to childebert thirty eight spanish expedition into gaul thirty nine death of several bishops forty there was in the city of tours a certain pelagius who was practised in every villainy and was not afraid of any judge because he had under his control the keepers of the horses belonging to the fisc because of this he never ceased either on land or on the rivers to thieve dispossess plunder murder and commit every sort of crime i often sent for him and both by threats and by gentle words tried to make him desist from his wickedness but it was hatred rather than any reward of justice i got from him according to solomon's proverb reprove not a fool lest he hate thee the wretch so hated me that he often plundered and beat and left half dead the men of the holy church and was always looking for pretexts to harm the cathedral or the church of st martin and so it happened that once when our men were coming and bringing sea urchins in vessels he beat them and trampled on them and took their vessels 
when i learned of this i excommunicated him not to avenge my wrong but to correct him more easily of this insanity but he chose twelve men and came to clear himself of this crime of perjury though i was unwilling to receive any oath i was compelled by him and my fellow-citizens and so i sent the rest away and received his oath only and ordered that he be taken back into communion it was then the first month when the fifth month came when the meadows are usually cut he entered a meadow adjoining his own that belonged to the monks but as soon as he put sickle to it he was seized with fever and died on the third day he had had a tomb made for him in st martin's church in the village of condes but when it was uncovered his people found it broken to bits he was afterwards buried in the portico of the church the vessels for which he had perjured himself were brought by the storekeeper after his death here the power of the blessed mary is evident in whose church the wretch had taken a false oath forty one fredegunda is accused of the killing of praetextatus forty two bepolinus leaves fredegunda and is made a duke by guntram forty three palladius bishop of santes is forced to appear before guntram forty four fredegunda attempts to have guntram assassinated forty five death of duke desiderius forty six richard succeeds Levegold of spain here ends the eighth book end of section thirteen